Hello, fortune seekers. Art. Without it, your game may as well be a spreadsheet. Gross. In the past, we have spoken about the process of using Midjourney to create AI art pieces for our prototypes. Now that we are moving into final designs, we have started to work with flesh and blood human people to make our imaginary, imaginary world come to life. We are going to tell you our process for finding talented artists, onboarding them, and working with them to make the best art a game can ask for. All that and so much more on this episode of the Megamoth Studios Super Secret Podcast. Shh! Don't tell anyone about it. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Shark to both card tables and thrift store clearance racks, Joel Watts. Joined as always by... Danny. Always interested to see how you'll describe yourself. Yeah. Well, I have many facets to my personality. I can attest to that. Last week, we had on Ben Mertz from Affect Games for Good, and we heard all about his journey and helping his community through board games and sharing board game and board game design with the people You got a little spicy with him about coffee preparation, too. Uh, yes, that is true. He also we we had a little bit of a debate about how to pre- how to prepare espresso. So if you want to hear that and so much more about uh, board gaming in Chicago, why don't you go back one week in your uh, podcast app and listen to last week's episode? But on today's episode, we're going to be discussing our experience working with artists, and that's to help guide you through the process for your own game or other creative project. But before we get into that, Danny. You got a, I got a question for you. Oh, dear. What, did, what what do we got this week? So we got another question of the week from our Discord community. Uh, if you're not a member of our Discord, that's X Secrets of Fortune on Discord. We have a wonderful, vibrant community out there. And if you can find somebody on the Discord server to play our game with and uh, teach you how to play the game. So we would highly recommend stopping by and getting a little taste of X Secrets of Fortune. But there's also a lot of co- talk about uh, cinema, about movies. And uh, Rickman33 asks this week, what movie do you like that is generally unpopular or disliked by most other people? Okay, Rickman coming in hot with yet another question. Gotta love it. It is nice to have somebody out here asking questions that are not questions you come up with, Joel. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm out. I I have no more questions to ask you, Danny. I think I might be done. (laughs) So you better continue to ask questions in the Discord. Otherwise, we're just going to sit here blankly for five minutes next week. All right, all right. So the question is, what is bad that people don't like that I like? Okay, I think I have an answer to this. And it's got some wonderful bona fides on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 11% critic score and a 16% fan score. Oh, so they're in alignment. This is a true stinker. <laughs> I, I Hit me with it, Danny. What is this one? Uh Joel Schumacher's Magnus Opus, Batman and Robin. Oh, <laughs> you. Okay. I have to ask, when was the last time you watched Batman and Robin? I was probably 12. Okay. <laughs> probably, probably one of those t- cinema moments to keep in the, the rear view mirror. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's the only way I'm going to get an answer to this question, but I, I have to say I enjoyed Mr. Freeze's, uh, uh, Arnold's Mr. Freeze and Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy. I wasn't super fan of 
Chris O'Donnell or Alicia Silverstone. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, George Clooney, nipples on a bat suit, hard to complain. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're at that age, kind of discovering things about yourself, for sure. But, I mean, like, what? the villains always had a wonderful time like you got to just be campy a campy mess and somehow get away with it like it was our, like especially the joel schumacher batmans it was like car blanche to go too far career potentially career ruining performances in any other films and yet you could go all out uh, especially uh jim carrey as the riddler if you will like look back at that you understand why you know well, that's Tommy, forever well i understand yeah but it's also joel schumacher and it's like yeah, that's also, fair. you know it's also like a a, a truly outrageous like you, how, did, how Eddie, did you go tim burton to joel schumacher by the way i mean joel schumacher was just a, a steady hand of hollywood at that point you know uh, i i can't say for sure that would be a really good question if if somebody were to talk about the development of Batman forever and like, you know, from Tim Burton to Joel Schumacher, like how the movie changed. I, I would watch that video essay for sure. I'm, I'm going to look for it after the show's done. We might, we might need to watch Batman and Robin and, and, and do a little commentary. I, I think we could, I think we could either commentate it or just recap it, you know, and talk about all the ridiculousness. Um, I, I just remembered that Batman early into the film, Robin gets completely frozen and Batman has to like melt him somehow so I just remember like a lot of people on like motorcycles and like ice skates and mm-hmm. a lot of pageantry i mean i think it would have worked a lot better as a as a live musical on broadway oh yeah yeah an ice show if you will oh batman and robin on ice how is that not a thing yeah I, i'm sh- i'm sure somebody's attempted at least once but that yeah. would I would go and see that in a heartbeat, a, a touring show like that, especially because like yeah, you got it built in. Mister Freeze is the perfect villain to do Batman on ice. You got how like much a, would we have to raise on the Kickstarter for you to write, direct, and star in Batman and Robin on ice with you playing Batman, Robin, and Mister Freeze? So we're going to uh, we have to film it. I'm assuming unless I'm doing costume changes and those characters don't appear on stage at the same time. We'd have like a very special costume that could just kind of be I all could, three. I could just turn. So you're also asking me to have to learn how to ice skate. Well, as a as a Texan, it's not been a priority to learn. You've ice never skating. ice skated before. No, actually, I don't think I've ever once put on ice skates and gotten on Ooh. ice. Well, we got to. We got to get. Okay. <laughs> I mean, concept. hey, if our if our Kickstarter goes <laughs> if it goes over a million. I mean, we can make something happen. I'm sure we can make anything happen if it goes over a million, right? That's like yeah. I mean, you already are getting a face tattoo. <laughs> well, I guess we can get my face tattooed to be Mr. Freeze. Batman, yeah, I was gonna say you Robin. should get a teardrop, but maybe a little snowflake. Ooh. <laughs> oh, you know if they had done Mr. Freeze in the suicide that's, that god awful yeah. Suicide Squad movie, he would have a snowflake teardrop tattoo. That 100%, is yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I, Mr. Freeze is oh, just just in general. One, I, I'm a big fan of the Batman animated TV show. If anything, 100%. that's my that's my canonical Batman. I will even have the 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 uh, stinker answer if somebody asks me my favorite Batman movie. I'll say Batman: uh, Mask of the Phantasm. I think you know a lot of people would consider that a cop out, but Mr. Freeze has yet to be done uh, since Arnold Schwarzenegger in live action, and I. If you want me, my butt in the seat day one of a Batman movie, please do a Mr. Freeze one. And I think yeah, with Bat, with Patrick Stewart, I mean, back in the day, <laughs> at least he would have been perfect. Oh. I think he could still maybe make it work because he's he's pretty spry. 
They also, uh, Patrick Stewart, and who was the other one? I mean, all the Hollywood bald men are, like, on, you know, on deck for it. Uh, what is his name? Ben? Kingsley? Kingsley, yes. Yeah. Ben Kingsley could have done a good job. I think you kind of want someone, like, tall and slender. But anyway, mm. what is your answer to this question? Okay. I had to, okay, I had to eject from my last answer uh, right before we started because I found out people actually liked the movie. I just happened to listen to what a couple movie of jerks. Was it? it was me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. And I listened okay. to a podcast at the time that this actually turned my like sometimes a podcast will voice an opinion and it's just like, well, if you have that opinion, we can't be friends anymore. And they stunk up on this movie. And I think maybe they just went to a bad showing or they weren't in the mood for it. But Mural and the Dying Girl is like a movie that I saw twice at, in theaters uh, at Violet Crown. One time I didn't even know what I was going in for. And I started crying about 30 minutes before the movie ended. There's a scene that it started. <laughs> you say before it started. <laughs> no, no, before it ended. Before it ended, like 30 minutes of, there was basically 30 minutes of Joel nasty crying. What is nasty crying? What's that's, Joel nasty crying looking like? I, I, dude, I can't even, like, I have to be there to get it. Like, that's probably why I wouldn't be a make a great actor is I can't How much would we have cue. to earn on the Kickstarter for you to nasty cry on cue? Uh, on well uh, to learn to do it on cue i'll say i'll do the theater school thing where it's like i can't leave the stage until i cry and you can keep a camera on me the entire time and i can figure it out with 400 um, cats. <laughs> we can't do 400 cats danny we already asked chat gpt <laughs> about the 400 cat questions and it would do irreparable damage to their psychology if we put 400 cats in a small space together, I still I, feel like it would make a hell of a live stream. Tell me you're not clicking on a video that says I live stream for 24 <laughs> hours in a closed room with 400 cats. I, that better be a that closed room views. would better be a warehouse. <laughs> oh my I was God. in your office. Anyway, so I revised my answer because that movie is actually considered good. And I agree. It is a good movie. Um, check it out if you haven't, especially if you're if you're a young man and you, you want to cry. I think it might. Just play that flute perfectly. Now, um, the movie, I actually brought in it to TV shows because when I had to eject that answer, I was like, I, I scrambled and I checked a TV show that had one specific season that everybody decided to, to just pile on. And I actually kind of dug, which was True Detective season two. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Have you seen True Detective season one? I have. Okay. True Detective season two is a little like just slightly cuckoo bananas in comparison to season one and season one had some pretty wild stuff in it. I, th I, I, I would say it didn't have the same instead of having one off the wall character that clashed against everybody's mostly normalcy. This one was more like every character was a little bit off in their own way. And I, I think sometimes when people dogpile on something one way or the other, I will, I just am a natural contrarian, so I will take the opposite opinion. But people were calling this a train wreck. And brother, let me tell you something. I've watched some train wrecks of movies and TV shows. I have. <laughs> you're going to say actual train wrecks. <laughs> I haven't had the pleasure quite yet. Someday. Oh God, they're a little Genghis Khan coming out there. <laughs> but I've seen some train wrecks. So let me tell you, True Detective Season 2... Was it a step down? Yes. It's not the masterpiece season one is. But what is? True right. Detective season one is like a lightning in a bottle situation. True 100%. Detective season two was still a pretty steady show, you know, navigated quite well. And Vince Vaughn has 
some amazing lines, you know, the, like just a, like the writer just getting to take an actor's mouth and make it, you know, like like a puppet, make it say whatever he wants. It was, you know, it's a definitely a writer's uh, uh, season of TV. And I think it has the near the end. It has two of the best death scenes that I've seen, not to give too much away. And Rachel, as I believe it was Rachel McAdams, where it plays the one of the detectives in that one, because the conceit Regina is like George, Regina George from yeah. Mean Girls. Correct. Well, she didn't. I didn't see her wearing any pink in that, you know, in that episode or any of the episodes. She was definitely a different kind of mean girl. The kind of mean girl who steals my heart. Ooh. Yeah. Which is, you know, you have a something type. I need. Yeah, I need to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, suffice to say, go watch a clip. If there's like a clip compilation of on YouTube of Vince Vaughn's best lines or the most off the wall lines said in that season, you should watch it because it is fun for that reason. But it also just there was some great tension, great action. If it had been named anything else, people would have been like, that was a solid TV show, like TV cop show. So it's like just it's not quite a procedural. It's outside of that realm. But I think it did change a little too much. Like, I think we really wanted to have like that occult vibe, you know, throughout True Detective. That should have been like something that it kept. And it was more like the cult of capitalism, I guess, instead of the cult of, you know, like voodoo magic. And maybe that's one of the reasons there's there's many reasons people might see it and be like, man, this stinks. But you know well, what? Sometimes True Detective you, season one, Matthew McConaughey decided to just show the entire world that he was just like one of the very best actors in Hollywood. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. He's just like, oh, you guys want to see something? <laughs> yeah. Yo, like, check I this mean, out. I, I mean, probably I mean, could easily be my favorite performance in anything. Mm-hmm. And Matthew McConaughey in that movie is just kind of cracks your head open, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, it, it, it is, it was revelatory. It was like, he acted so well in that. And I know he's done some acting since, but it's like, I feel like the Oscars were like, well, I guess we got to give it to Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club because we can't nominate give a TV show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's exactly how it felt. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, if, if you get the option and you haven't seen True Detective season one, maybe watch season two first to be the warm up into season one. What about season three? Is that any good? I haven't watched it. I plan on watching it at some point. In fact, I'm in, I, I went through a long dry spell of watching TV and movies. And just recently I watched, uh, I'm trying to keep up with Blink Check. Uh, that's a podcast uh, hosted by Griffin Newman and David Sims. And they're doing a David Fincher series. And I love David Fincher. So I was like, you know what? I'll watch Seven. I haven't seen Seven in probably uh, 15 years. And What's so I your watched favorite it. David Fincher movie? I think there's still a little stinker you know, rebel punk rocker who wants to say fight club. But I do have to, I think in all honesty, like the movie that I could actually wrap up with like a warm blanket would probably be the social network. Social network is great. Yeah. I think he was was pretty good too. I, I I feel like I think Zodiac is a better film, but I don't, I, it's harder to sit down and watch. Yeah. It's it's, it's long. I forgot about social network. Social network is like, that was, uh, that was one of my, when it comes to, the, it was robbed by the Oscars. The, the social network is probably my biggest uh, it was robbed answer. Um, but no, I think that's a pretty good uh, answer. And it goes to show there are many opinions about these things out there. You don't have to align with the masses in the mainstream. Go and find something weird that speaks to you and stick with it and defend it. And just, you know, be a contrarian from time to time. Opinions are awesome. Have your own. Um, well, 
now that we're <laughs> now that we're done with the question of the week, and that was like way more involved than I thought it was going to be. Uh, let's get into today's main topic, and what we want to talk about today is art. Get in and working. Well, let me zip back a little bit. What we want to talk to you about today is uh, our experience so far of working with artists to make art for our game, and some of the things that we've learned, and some of the parts of the processes that we've gone through. So, Danny. Um, I got a question. Why should we work with artists? It's super fun. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, we, we've had a long journey, uh, I would say. I mean, I don't know how much you want to go into this. We've talked about uh, our journey with AI art um, and concepting um, quite a bit on the podcast. So, I mean, I don't think we'll go too deep here. Um, but working with artists is a very different experience. One thing they know what hands are. Right? Yes. Um, only 10, unless you ask them to, you know, take a few off. <laughs> but, but the other thing is, is it's like, it's, it's actual collaboration. Like AI, you're going to like tell it to do something and it's going to do something weird. And you're going to keep doing that until it gets something that you're like, Oh, pretty cool. Um, and, and look, we've we've figured out how to use AI in our process that we think is beneficial. And we'll talk about that maybe more later. But there's something really magical about being able to sit down with, with an artist and talk through something. And you get something back and you can actually give very specific feedback and notes. And they can push back and say, uh, no, I don't think so. Like the whole process is so much better person to person. Yeah, that's my opinion. I completely agree. And, you know, I did want to pose this question because a lot of people are thinking AI, you know, mid journey specifically, I think it's the most popular, or at least the most the easiest to access at this point. Um, I, I'm not sure about Dolly. And what was the other, do you remember the name of the other one? Uh, stable diffusion, I think. Yeah, stable diffusion. I'm not sure what the process is to get in on those. But I mean, mid journey is the one that seems to be the consumer level. And Yes, it can produce really good things really quickly, but there's some things that it just can't do, or at the very least, I think you'd have to jump through too many like hoops. Like we we noticed when we were making it, it's like if you wanted to depict one person, one a very specific person, it was fine. But if you wanted to try to get two people and have them look specific, like you know characters that are consistent with the design of a character, that's when it got a bit nutty. And there was just very specific compensation compensations compensations. I don't so, know what you're going to say, so it's hard for uh, me to say. Uh, you know, like, you know, how a frame is composed. Compositions. <laughs> compositions. There was very specific compositions that we wanted to make for the game. <laughs> you still stole, you still stuck the pen in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what is going wrong with me today, but basically there was very specific uh, scenes that we wanted to depict that mm -hmm. I think for, cause you did most of the prompting with the AI with mid journey. And I think for you to get it, it you would have had to like really banged your head against the computer screen and, and like, you know, smashed your keyboard a few times to actually get what we we had in our head, and we I, often had to settle. Yeah, I think we're we're gonna see AI tools capable of doing this sort of thing better in the future. It'll be much more user friendly. But before we get there, you know, there's gonna have to be some um, of the ethical and legal considerations worked out. For again. You know, if you're doing a small game, you know, we talk about this all the time. If you're doing a small game, you're not really looking to commercialize it. 
I think it's fine to use AI art. It's just like using public domain fonts or anything else. It's like, if you're not going to make money off of it, that's okay. But the moment that you're trying to do, you know, a large commercial project, you really owe it to the people who made that possible to, um, to compensate them. And since there's not a really clean way of doing that now, or any way that I'm aware of, you know, for us, we felt, you know, working with artists amongst everything else uh, was was the right decision for us. And as we've kind of pointed out, like, there's a ton of benefits to working with artists. Obviously, it costs money. And so that's prohibitive. But but my, my thing is, if you believe in your game, and you think your game is good enough, you can go to Kickstarter, you can go to investors, and if they see your game and they play it, they'll give you the money needed to get it to be the version that it will need to be to go to market. Again, no one's telling you to spend this money if you're, you don't have a chance of getting a return on it. But to try to launch and do a massive commercial thing and say, you know, we'll, we'll pay them, you know, when, we, when we're successful. I mean, that's a, a path people can take. But, I mean, I think sometimes you have to bet on yourself and, you know, put the money where, where your mouth is. Exactly. And also, I would say, like, if you're thinking about going the Kickstarter route or the investors route, a little bit of art can go a long way in selling a vision. You know, we often showed when even when we had the mid journey art, we kind of really honed in on like two or three images that we constantly put forward because they were our favorites. and They really told the story. You know, if you were to get uh, two or three artists to produce maybe one or two pieces each, that would at least give you a, a, a a sizzle reel of sorts, a, a lookbook of like, this is what the game is going to look like. Now, I would also say to answer this, to answer my own question, you know, artists are awesome and they make society and, and life better. So shouldn't they be compensated? Shouldn't they have an outlet to, you know, uh, earn a living so they can keep doing that and keep being awesome? I mean, you know, we've been working with artists uh, for a few, for a few months now. And it can take them hours, you know, days of work to produce one high quality image. I mean, I feel like that is worth that. That's worth compensation. That, that there's that, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, and they and they deserve to get that. And a computer, you know, the, as people have often said, is Midjourney is essentially, um, you know, it is taking art from other people and remixing it all together, and. You know, that's the ethical line that we've been talking about is that you can't, you know, um, you, these pieces, you know, they're, these are artists' uh, intellectual property and they're trying to, you know, and... It's not that the pieces yes. Midjourney is creating is, is artists' intellectual property. It's that it wouldn't be possible without pilfering yeah. artists' intellectual property. Exactly. And it's just, uh, you know, it, it is standing on the, the shoulders of giants, but, you know, it is also it is also not going to, not specifically, but for the most part, it's not going to show you something new. It's going to show you a remix of something that's come before. And the art that we're getting from our artists, we do feel like is new looks and has very specific stories it's telling amongst multiple elements. That's been the coolest part for me. I mean, we, we created, you know, this game and we're, we're working on the companion story right now. And if we could have gotten, you know, the game has three three different action X cards, right? Sites, relics, feats. And we now have two feats that are set at a site where 
it is one of the characters that is central to the story utilizing one of the relics in the story. And we could never have done that with, with Midjourney um, or AI art. Um, so getting an opportunity to really see the world come, come alive that we're building has been like, I don't know. I can't compare it to, it's just super, super fun. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. No, it's, uh, an artist, like, uh, basically, like you said, there's a artist who did one of our cards called excavators pick, you know, and he, like he did the central like excavators picks in the middle of the frame and he designed the hell out of that card. That pick looks so cool. It has all these little intricate ruins and it even, ha it even has the detail that the head, the actual pickaxe head of it looks as though it was broken at one point and had been re-smelted together. And that's actually part of the story that we wanted to include in the backstory of this pick and what makes it a magical special item. And then we have another character, another artist making a character, uh, holding on to the pickaxe and when he sent in his final renders you know his fine it's like he said it was all said and he, he basically it's done like we actually saw the pickaxe from the first card in this card in a character's hand and all those little details were included he definitely was very true to the original designer's vision of what the pickaxe was going to look like and we just knew it's like now this is a story now you, you when the when a player takes the time to sit, sift through all the art, they're going to be like, hey, wait, I recognize that, and it's here. And we're also going to have the pickaxe at least show up in one more card. So I'm looking forward to how that, you know, sets in. It's going to be awesome. Um, well, this is great reasons to get an artist, to get real artists, people you can work with. How do you find these artists, Danny? I mean, you've done a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of going out and looking for these folks. Uh, what have been your methods? Yeah, so there's there's a few different ways that I think work really well. Um, I mean, one is something that a lot of us already do, which is doom scroll Instagram. Uh, you know, you you look for people who have cool art on Instagram, but a lot of artists don't really want to be solicited for commissions via Instagram because you know, has, has anyone ever looked at that Reddit uh, begging choosers or you know what I'm talking about, Joel? The one yeah, where I do. It's just people trying to. Get other uh -huh. people to give them things for free. Yes. And most of those, you know, like a good percentage of those are like people going to artists and being like, hey, uh, I see you do $500 for, for a commission. I'll give you $5. And they'll be like, no, thank you. And they'll be like, come on, please. Yeah. I'll give you exposure. Not, not, just, and not just come on, please. They'll probably be like, come on, nasty word. Just do it. Yeah, exactly. The so Filthy language being thrown around at, you know, perfectly innocent artists. I know at least one of the artists that we work with will not take commissions off Instagram for that reason, uh, or perhaps it's a different reason, but I assume it's that reason. But, um, but Instagram would be, you would say is a good place maybe to start to find the artist and then maybe dig into their account to discover where to go and uh, discover more. Right. Yep. Uh, one of the, the greatest places that we've found artists has been ArtStation. Um, you know, if you, if you Google uh, ArtStation commissions, it'll bring up a whole list of different artists they have different techniques and styles and you can kind of just scroll through. Um, and usually there's some contact information and you can reach out to them and, and ask them about their process and commissions. And we'll talk a little bit more about when you reach out to artists, what you should, should say and do, but also conventions and art meetups are great. I mean, we've met at least one artist just walking the floors of comic Palooza, um, and, and just networking, you know, going by booths. If you see something you like, you know, ask them if they do commissions. Um, and then 
you know, the last thing I would say uh, is is ask um, people in your network. You know, if you know artists personally or you know people who uh, make art, if you know other game designers, I mean, honestly, you could reach out to someone on social media. If you know a game designer, you like the art that they use in game, you could ask them. Or even one thing I've done is gone to the game store and just picked up boxes that caught my eye and looked who, who made it. Um, there's groups on Facebook. There's just so many ways to find artists. Yeah, no, you, you brought up a great point of being in network. I mean, one thing I, I really thoroughly believe in is, you know, we should support our local communities as best as possible. And there's somebody, uh, I'm not going to name names, but there is somebody in our sphere that I think is a great, amazing artist. And I'm just waiting, uh, but they have a very specific style. So it's like, we almost have to make the game for their art or it has to be the right one. But yeah, look at, and maybe even let that inspire you. As we've said before, you should probably you be a little loose with your theme of your game, or at least one approach to making a game. You can start with the mechanics and then find the right theme to put on it. So maybe if you look around and see this art looks awesome, how can I bridge the gap between my game and that art? What theme would work, would blend those two together so that they can work together? It's just something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were very intimidated, I think, uh, finding artists when we started this process. Um, but I think at this point we've caught our, we've, we've, we found a good groove and I, I feel like, um, it's not something that, um, there's no secret sauce. It's just kind of figuring out, you know, where to go, where to look, who to talk to, um, and how to approach it. So yeah, like, know, I think like, a lot of artists out there. Like most of the problems that we've had or that we have to find solutions for, it usually comes down to spend time doing it, try to do it better each time that you go out to do it and you will eventually, it'll eventually click. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely reciprocal. Um, but before we jump into to onboarding and interviewing, I do want to just point out the way you approach artists matter too. Um, sometimes you're going to approach, approach them through their website and they'll have a form. Other times they'll have an email. Um, but I think one of the things that's really important is, you know, to let them know what, what it is that you're reaching out to them for and hopefully give them something that they can look into. When we first started out, you know, it was really just an email saying, we're making a game, X Seekers of Fortune. This is what the theme is. This is what the arts that we're looking to commission are and how many there are and some basic questions just to start a dialogue and invite them to a call. Um, What's been cool later in the process, some of the, the last couple of artists that we've talked to, when I sent them the email, because now you can Google the game, they come back and they say, hey, I checked out the game. This looks really cool. I want to be part of it. So it's kind of neat. Um, you know, when we first started, it was just, you know, hey, we're doing something. You want to be part of it. And, you know, it, you know, if they like what they heard or what we could show them behind the scenes, they'd jump on. But now people can, since there's materials out in the world they can look at, you know, they can kind of psych themselves up before we even get on the call. But and maybe, yeah. well, yeah, and maybe to go back to like where we're saying where the concept art of AI concept art, where a good place to get you to is like, you know, showing artists, this is the style. These are the subject matters that we want. Does this appeal to you? You know, yeah. and, and that so that can give them a taste of like, oh, the, the I think these guys will vibe with my style or, oh, this might seem outside of my purview. 100%. I think we should we can go a little deeper on that even uh, later in the conversation. But um, what has you been been your experience so far with the, the interviewing? What would you say has kind of been your approach to interviewing <laughs> artists? I like I, I'm 
I would say that in the few interviews that we've had, I like to just get a sense of how to the point they are, how professional they are. And it's not a mark against them either way. If they're super professional and it's just all business straight down the line, hey, that tells me this is, you know, you know, we'll sign the checks, we'll give you the briefs, and you'll do the work. And as long as that, as long as the work gets done, that's the most important part. But it's also nice when you get a sense of their personality. And uh, we just had a conversation with an artist that I think we actually had to get on track at a certain point because we were just going um, off for like 30 minutes talking about, a, a, you know, a movie documentary. You know, like one of those classic, this movie was a disaster and we actually made a documentary about it. <laughs> uh, it was specifically, it was about the island of Dr. Moreau. Um, and that was... I feel like we should have her on the podcast at one I point think, to, to I like... Mean, have that conversation. <laughs> I think so. I think so. She'll, she'd be a great, like this. She, I, I well remember, uh, this is potentially something that should be cut out because it is future talk about podcasts, but we actually had a movie recommended, uh, that's based on a game. I think it was a tie in with a game. And, uh, it's like supposedly just the worst movie that one of our, the people in our community has ever seen. And I'm like, we should watch that movie and talk about it. But now that you mention it based on the subject matter, I think she would really dig, you know, do it, maybe doing that with us. So we should uh, ask her about it. Do you remember seeing so. that, that, uh, post the Dante's Inferno post? Yes, exactly. I want, we well, last night on Tuesday night X, we pulled up the trailer and watched it. I streamed the trailer for the, the whoever was there at the time. And yeah, <laughs> we watched it and kind of had a good chuckle afterwards. Um, but yeah, if, if you're interested, join the discord, go to the cinema chat, uh, thread. And I think LF one, made the post about it and yeah. his write-up of, of why yes. Inferno, well, if Xbox we, Live directs. If we do that <laughs> episode, random. I will read his entire post as, as like the reason why we got into this. Oh yeah. Uh, it's uh, super cool. But yeah, that, I mean, ultimately I'm just making sure that it, you know, that there's some spark there. It's like, would I be, and this, I think this is a little more important than art if, with artists, uh, artist relationship, especially because it's uh what is the term? They're not hired. They're not W two employees. They're they're contractors. Contractors. This is probably a little more important for a contracting situation. It's like you just want to make sure that it like in another world, if we met at a bar, would we get along decently? Would could we potentially have a conversation that night? Could we be friends moving forward? I think that with uh, art, and you know, you want to have that because the thing that should be uniting you and the artist should be that like same similar taste, similar sensibilities. Yeah, it's definitely uh, like sort of an opportunity for a mutual um, sniff test, right? Like, you know, they they deserve to have an opportunity to interview us at the same time. And we really try to make the the conversation not feel like an interview, uh, but just really just an opportunity, you know, to ask us questions, to see what we're like. Um, but we're pretty committed to being the best clients we can be. One of the questions I like to ask during the interview process is, you know, when you have a great client, you know, how do they behave? You know, what, what, what kind of feedback are they giving? How do they interact with you? Um, you know, and I think it, it's important, you know, if, if you try to work the same way with every collaborator you have, you're just going to have some collaborators you can't work with because, you know, your styles don't mesh with them. But if you're an adaptable person and you can kind of figure out how to be the best collaborator for the person you're collaborating with uh, while still representing your interests, you're going to have great results. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, and yeah, that is actually a really great question to ask. You know what you, you can learn a lot about somebody based on like, you know, the feedback that they enjoy getting. Cause if they were to tell us, I think, I think it might be a, 
oh, thanks, but no thanks. If they were to say something like, you know, great, a great collaborator just, you know, signs the checks and, to, and accepts whatever I turn in, you know, that would be a bad sign for us. But we haven't had anybody, like everybody so far has been very receptive to like this being a collaborative process and it being our vision as well as their vision uh, for the final product. Um, but if you get to the end of the artist conversation and everything's going good, there is something that you should be able to send them right away. And that is an artist agreement. And uh, we have we have one of those locked and loaded, pretty much ready to go with a couple of like, you know, you, you a couple of things that we tweak per artist. Do you want to talk to like kind of talk about yeah. what is in that agreement and why it's important? Sure. So what what we like to do is actually send the sample agreement to the artist before we even have that interview call so that that can be part of the conversation. I think the last thing you want is just have a great hour long conversation with someone. And then, you know, you find out that there's something that's going to blow up everything, uh, in the agreement. Um, it's much better to get that out on the front end to talk through it. Um, but really, I mean, the agreement just specifies, you know, what the artist is doing, how much they're going to get paid, when they're going to turn it in by, I mean, depends on how granular you want to get, but you can agree to different milestones. But the most important things are that you are outlining the rights that you will be getting um, as the client and, you know, what rights uh, and protections the artist is going to retain and just kind of going through all of the, the details. And, and, you know, I think, Joel, you'll agree that ni neither of us are in a position to offer any sort of legal advice. Um, but, but I think it is... Absolutely. Um, it, but, it, but it, I mean, this is one place where, you know, finding um, a little bit of, um, you know, legal help um, just to do a quick, you know, overview of your of your document will set you up on a good foot. Um, one thing that we we did, again, this isn't legal advice, this is just kind of how our approach is. We structured our artist agreement based on an agreement that was provided to us uh, by an artist at some point. And the reason why we've done that is because we want to make sure that we have an artist-friendly agreement and something that is very standard. Typically speaking, you know, I try to, um, you know, stick to best practices uh, where it makes sense to. If I find a best practice to be unequitable uh, or inequitable, I don't know. Uh, we, we will. We're both um, having a time with words today, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll make adjustments so that I feel like, you know, Hey, this is, this is what I think is fair. Cause there are definitely times where agreements are very, very, um, tilted against artists and we don't want, um, our artists, you're not doing yourself any favors. If you're trying to have long-term relationships with people, you know, putting them at a, at some sort of disadvantage, like that's a, that's a bad meme that businesses should be able to exploit artists. Um, so anyway, um, you know, that's that's just the basics. I mean, again, not a not a uh, offering any legal advice, but you know, just make sure you you have a very clear expectation for what the deliverables are div deliverable is going to be, what formats it's going to be, uh, what medium, uh, what your rights are, what the payment is, and payment terms. Hopefully, if everything goes right with the artist, you after they sign it, you never have to look at the document again. Yep. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And, and we do this on a piece by piece basis. Yeah. We have them sign an agreement for each each individual commission. Yeah. I think we, we might consider doing, you know, multiple if we knew we were going to commission. Um, but I think we tend to commission one at a time just, you know, right now, uh, take pressure off of everyone. I think I think it's always nice 
that everyone, you know, feels like, okay, you know, if things start getting, you know, weird in some way, you know, I can walk away from this if, you know, I don't have to do another one, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway. No, no, I completely, I don't know what that looks like in the future. It's also a matter of like, you know, we want to, it'll be easier for us to make a fuller commitment, you know, next, next rodeo when we have already done this once, but uh, there's, in, there's little details also like, um, how much would we have to raise on the Kickstarter for you to be a rodeo clown for a day? A whole day? You know, that would actually be, as long as we shot it, I would be totally fine doing that. We don't so, even have to have a Kickstarter? Not that we don't have to have a Kickstarter, <laughs> but I'm just saying it's, it's a lower tier. It's like if we hit our halfway milestone, that could be rodeo clown for a day material. You, you know, we, we get like halfway there. Or, or how about this? No, no, the halfway, that's, it's like we meet our goal plus 50% more. That's rodeo cloud material right there, buddy. Our goal plus fifty percent more. Yeah. So, like, if our goal is ten thousand, if we raise fifteen thousand, yes. you spend a day as a rodeo clown. Yes, but you have so to come. Have you to and Will have to come out and film. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I wouldn't miss that for the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did have one more thing to add uh, to that thought about doing multiple at a time, which, and this is something you should know, because as we go into talking about the briefs, is one reason it's hard to do the commissioning multiple at once is because depending on the complexity of each card, each image, like how many layers of action and detail are there, the artists start asking, you know, that's what raises your price. Uh, we don't want to, I don't think we want to talk specific numbers here, but let's just say we've had prices double so far based on like the description we gave the artist, because what they thought was just going to be like a single item with a like colorful abstract background. We actually wanted it to be the, you know, the relic in a space and that space having details as well. And that can, you know, raise your price uh, action, you know, action set pieces, uh, you know, making sure things look like they're in motion also helps raise the price, but that's all the things you have to consider in writing the brief for the artist. And so why don't we go ahead and talk a little bit about that, which is probably the funnest part of the process. And like uh, the part of the process where you and I get to actually explore deeper our thoughts on like what the story of the overall game is. Yeah. So before we do this, let me just kind of outline exactly the step-by-step -step to get to the brief. Cause I think people find this interesting. So we identify an artist, we send all the, you know, initial, you know, email asking if they're interested, they reply, we set up the interview call, we send them the agreement in advance. Then at that point, we're going to uh, share with them also uh, any card templating information, any specs that they need to know. Um, and usually we'll try to connect them with our graphic designer so that they have a technical contact that they can communicate with directly. And then the idea is, hey, we're going to draft the brief. You know, we talked about generally what we want to do. We're going to draft the brief. We'll send it to you. And once you receive the brief, they will quote us a price because then they'll see exactly the amount of detail we want. And if everything is copacetic, we'll take the brief. We'll customize the agreement to be this specific piece. We'll attach to the brief and then we'll send it to them for signature. And then upon signature, you know, we'll pay them based on whatever payment terms we've agreed to. So that gets us to the brief that kind of shows the whole, whole process, uh, the lead up. So Joel, if you want to take it away on the brief. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love to. The brief, like I said, it's my favorite part of the process. The I think it's, oh, well, it is the shortest <laughs> in the show notes. There's, uh, I would say this is where you get to be, you get to turn into the writer who's and the director of the art piece because it's your vision and how you put it on the card 
that you know that determines what the artist is going to draw up and how, where what's going to set them off in a direction. And we've had a few things that have worked. We've we've sent artists briefs that they didn't like they took the overall vibe of what was going on but then decided hey how about instead of that detail let's let me show you this detail and they would send us something in thumbnail and that would get us going in a completely different direction sometimes the artist stuck to the brief completely but like depicted it from a different angle than i was expecting we can get into all of that but the brief is both super important because it gets everybody on the same page and going in the same direction but it's also like in movies, you know, you often hear about that um, trope of like, oh, just throw the script away. You know, it's like at this point, it's, it's all about the drama. It's all about like what we're doing here now today. And that's kind of true. It's like, you, you know, you want to be you want to be poetic. You want to look to tell a story and you want to know what you're looking for in what direction you want to head in. But you don't want to be like super rigid, like it has to be this exactly and you don't want to have so you don't want to have like too much too crystal clear of a vision that you're trying to nail leaving the artist no room for creativity and you also don't want to not know what you want because then once you don't know what you want that's when well this sounds good and that also sounds good but it could also be this and then you're giving them very conflicting notes and direction a hundred percent i think i think it's important for you to kind of have a general idea and and this is you know ties back into how we have leveraged ai art uh, during concepting uh, in a way that has been beneficial to artists. And, and, you know, this was crystallized for us in our last call uh, with an artist. And, you know, we asked about the the art and her comment was, uh, I really like seeing the concept art because a lot of times when I work with clients, they don't know how to even begin to describe what they want. They don't even know what they want. Mm -hmm. And that creates a lot of frustration that generates a lot of additional cost. So being able to show up and say, hey, we've put some thought into this. This is generally what we want in terms of aesthetic and look just allows the artist to proceed with a lot of confidence that they know, one, whether or not they're the right artist to do what you're asking them to do. And then two, to just generally understand what your taste is. And I think that's really, really important. Uh, we've had a tremendous amount of success uh, with, with artists turning in art that we were very, very happy with. And very little disconnect. I mean, we will go back and forth on details and getting things just right, but overall, no one has really just completely, you know, been unable to get where we want to go within a reasonable uh, review process. Yeah, no, it's it's been pretty spot on. We we haven't gotten too far into any particular um, image and having to make drastic changes, you know, little details like, Oh, can we change the arm here? Can we, can we, uh, maybe up, uh, like change up the color schemes, which turns out changing the color in this day and age is not uh, nearly as hard as it used to be. Since all the colors are just on layers in Photoshop, you can just, you know, select the, the color layer and just start tweaking it. So it makes it much easier for us to get the correct colors. But, um, one thing I did want to add here real yeah, quick, yeah, and I, I think you'll, you'll agree with this is, during the interview process, you should talk about what makes for a good art brief um, because different people want different things. Some people really want something that's, you know, right down the line, an explanation of what the image is, um, and they don't need any other additional information that isn't, you know, relevant to what we're seeing on uh, the page. Whereas other people want all the backstory they can get. They want to know what the character was doing, you know, years and years before, where they're going after, 
what they think about, you know, everything you could imagine telling people um, within the context of a story. Some artists really want that information because they want to, I think, ensoul those characters. They want those characters to to seem alive uh, in their images. Well, that's something that uh, I come back to in considering the art briefs and like in that that stage I have to reconcile in my own brain between making the brief and thinking of the story as a whole and then consolidating it to an image is that we, at least right now, we do have plans to make a comic book in the future and hopefully beyond that for this story. Um, but right now, every single story beat that you know is associated with a card has to be told in one image. You get one image on a card. At least last time I checked, if they come out, if they if they come out with those holofoil, like you know, remember those cards, uh, those uh, like uh, promos that you could turn and it would change the image. If if we could make a playing card game using those, I might uh, consider, uh, you know, what we could do with that. But you get one image, so there are things that we're stuffing details in to the these pieces of art that probably you know you're choosing an angle that will capture the entire scene you're you're putting in images that probably wouldn't be in the if if you had like if you had an entire page to detail out this space this character's what they're doing you would probably choose different images close-ups things like that but you have to go for that wide shot you have to you have to try to fill it in with as much detail so I, i often say it's like right now i have the animated version of the card in my head. I have the movie moment, but it's not like we have to consolidate it. We have to flatten it to one moment. Yeah. A hundred percent. You have to figure out what is essential and mm-hmm. what will convey in that singular image, um, singular, I'm using singular wrong there, but in, in that one image, that one snapshot, if you will. Uh, yeah. The, the essence of, what the players need to know or experience Mm. to fully enjoy the story and the game. But, and like you said, it's like, and that's why some artists want to know a little bit more because like what in capturing this image, what they were, the character was doing right before the image and what they're trying to reach might be something they can depict in the art itself. And that one image, you know, they're very clever people. These artists, they know how to, they know which angle is going to be the best to get you the most information. And they always, they never fail to surprise me. The last thing I just want to say on this topic is remember artists are collaborators and you're going to get the most out of the process. If you collaborate, uh, everyone who's been in the creative fields and has had a client, uh, view them as very little more than a, than a puppet, um, will understand that frustration. And I guarantee you, the quality of work you're going to get from an artist if you try to put your hand on theirs and draw it and do every single detail exactly the way you have it in your your brain is going to be far worse than if you approach the person and say, hey, I want to partner with you. What do you think about this? What would you do? And give them the leeway to create. Because when creators can create versus just fabricate what's in your brain, they are going to blow you away far more often than when they're just mechanically reproducing what you want detail by detail. Yeah. And you're not going to get the best of them if you do that. Now this does give us uh, to a point where there are certain gates that you get to where the artist 
gets to show you what they came up with. And you can, at that point, usually with little effort, start, you know, suggest a few changes and maybe meld it a little, you know, make a little, a little adjustments. Now, um, it's different for every artist, but I'll just like lay them down. There's usually thumbnails or sketches and that you would get that before they move on to inking or painting. So, um, Danny, like, uh, is there anything in particular, like when you get those sketches or those thumbnails in, like, what do you, what do you look at? What do you think, you know, what are you looking for to make suggestions for changes versus what you like think, okay, we might have to like, let this cook and see where that goes. So for thumbnail, thumbnails often for me, composition, framing, making sure that the major elements are present, uh, in, in the frame in a way that is properly focused for the card. Meaning, you know, if you're showing a relic or depicting a relic, if the relic's off in the distance and not the center focus of the image, you're, you're not on the right focus. So for thumbnails, it's really what's the right dynamic angle is the right thing in focus. It's just kind of blocking. Then when we get to the sketch phase, that's where you're looking for those little details that really are going to bring the, the idea alive come in. You're making sure that, you know, we just went through Ruckus Bazaar, right, with uh, one of the artists. And there was a lot of back and forth about what the right frame was because you know, we hadn't really given enough thought to what we needed the card to communicate. Uh, on the front end. And what we ended up landing on was we needed it to feel large and expansive and we needed it to feel chaotic, busy, ruckus, right? And figuring out how to check all those boxes in a way. And the, the one thing I would also say you added to it, which I think was also essential is what makes this our world versus just any run of the mill world. Um, there was one detail in an early sketch that you saw and you said, hey, you know, this looks good on paper, but it, it just feels like it can be anyone's world. We've seen it a million times. How can we bring something to this image that really sells X Seekers of Fortune universe, not mm -hmm. just a generic setting? Exactly. Uh, I, I, just to clarify for the audience, I think we're talking a little broad, but I mean, this is supposed to be like your classic, I guess, uh, Arabian marketplace that you would see a la Aladdin or uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, you know, there's been plenty of countless examples of it, and we do want to tap into that trope. Um, the specific detail I saw was a snake charmer thing, you know, a snake charmer playing a flute and the snake in front of him. I was like, yeah, that's like what you would expect if it was like the slice of like life of the our real world. But we always want to try to, like you said, change it up. So what we came to of, uh, to divulge this is we I suggested and I think it just sunk with us. I was like, what if it was kind of like cock? There was people betting on a cock fight, but instead of cocks, it was like lizards fighting iguanas. And I think that that you know tickled your fancy because it's like it's not something you would see in our real world. I mean, if you know that it exists out there, please let us know. Iguana, but, iguana like. Yeah, I think I suggested iguana like or a dancing bear. You wanted both, and I think our artist was like. Hold up. <laughs> like, I think for good reasons, like you already want this to be a wide shot. Like how much details, how uh, can we get in here? Uh, and that's where we're talking about pushback. And like, and that's, this is where the process, he, uh, uh, our artist did this in a thumbnail version, which is below sketching. It is like just, it's sing simple lines on paper, uh, not with no shadows, no details. 
you know, just shapes. blocking shapes, yeah. basically. Shapes that vaguely look like humans uh, or boxes or, you know, storefronts and things like that. But, you know, at first, you know, and at first he was, like, setting it like a bird's eye view, or not bird's eye view, a street eye view. Like, I thought it looked like a street photo, but, uh, is what I often refer to it as, street photography, because it was, like, at eye level. And the more that we thought about it, we wanted to get, you know, we wanted to create a sense of claustrophobia, and we wanted to see the big, large crowd, and we wanted there to be that vanishing point that if you look at, if you look up like, you know, like street markets online and look at the photography, it's often going to, you know, the thing that is really cool is just seeing the crowd of people going off in infinity into the distance. So, you know, that brought us to like, you know, the, the note, like we can't, if it's at, if it's at eye level, you're not going to get that depth. So we needed to raise up the image and he took that note really quickly. And that was basically it. Like once we gave him that note, raise up the image, get that vanishing point, And we all had, reference photos for him to look at it, it locked in and the next thing he turned in we were just like go for it that's yeah. it it was a cool one too because mm -hmm. uh lizards fighting is cool yeah but he still hold, told a little story in there you know like look at look around the lizard fight there's a few more details that you're going to see once you get that final image yeah um, so that's more or less the thumbnail portion of it. And that's a, a slash sketching. Sketching is a little bit more detail, some indication of where shadows are going to go. It's closer to the final art, but it's still not there. And these are p points where if you have a note, you can make a lot big changes quickly because they haven't put a lot of effort in. But when they move on to the next portion, which is like laying down ink, laying down uh, shadows and laying down color, however they, however they approach that, whether it be comic book inking or painterly painting you know this is when it's going to be a little harder to ask them to make changes so yeah think uh, about this as like you're building a house yes and they've put up the frame and they're like hey does this frame look okay not that it's so easy to change a frame of a house but it's certainly a lot easier to change of a frame of a house before you start putting up the drywall and painting everything and yeah you know once once you have moved on to the point where you're making the house livable going back and being like, well, we need to change something structural is just, it's going to be a huge overhaul and it's going to be very expensive. So and I have heard people make those notes. Like I have worked on some sets of some movies, uh, you know, or you know, more like web series, I should probably say, or, you know, internet videos, things like that. Nothing, nothing with millions of dollars on the line, but I've still had people like, you know, last minute to have asked for major changes and you're just like, I feel like we're just going to waste most of our day now. Like, what, are we actually going to shoot this thing? Or are we just going to make it look good for shooting? You know, sometimes you just have to embrace like, okay, we might've made a mistake. I didn't communicate, but we have to get the scene. And that's what I talked about. Like, you know, throwing away the script. Sometimes you have to throw away your preconceived notions and make use of what's there and make it the best it can be. Um, now that is, uh, so I will say, because we, I don't, I don't think there's sometimes times when you, know something subconsciously, but you haven't been cued in on it. And I think inking versus painting was one of those things for us. I think we probably would know that there's a difference between like ink coloring and painterly painting, but it is something that, you know, you really have to be specific with artists because those are the two major ways of, of getting your colors on, on paper or, you know, on the art and painterly looks so much different and has such a different approach. Like when you do the ink painting or the, if you color with ink, you know, the artist has to actually go through and do like very intricate line work because like all the blacks have to be put down, all the shadows, and then they fill in the rest with the color versus like the painterly, it has much more, I don't know, it's very dreamlike, uh, it, you know, kind of blends together. And so they don't usually put down ink in that situation. They'll just paint over the sketch. 
Um, and, so and this is where understanding the differences makes a, a lot of a lot of uh, difference in the feedback process. Because to your point, when you're doing the the graphic novel style, the ink style, which some of the cards are, um, the Ruckus Bazaar, for instance, you see the details on the sketch before you go to inking. Uh, mostly, you don't see shading and everything, but you you see the major details. But with with some of our other artists, when they get to the sketch part, there's still a lot of details that are are going to come through the coloring and through the painting. Um, we have you know one artist in particular at the sketch phase. You know, it's kind of like okay, like we sort of know where we're going, but it's a little harder to give nuanced you know feedback because not everything is fully sketched out. Yeah. And that and that and that's um, that makes things different for each artist because we know with him, the way that he works, he's very very clever. He works in a way where we can get up. He can say, "Oh, I think I'm finished," and he's worked on so many layers that we can say, "Okay, we do have some comments at this point. We do have some things to change," and he's receptive to those changes because he knows ex all the intricacies of how his, his piece seems to work, and he's able to you know, add in an element or like change up one of the elements. I remember uh, one of the arts, like the characters in a pose like this. Uh, and like, I felt like it, there's something wrong with the pose. I couldn't nail it. And it took me a while looking at the pose, like 10 minutes, like staring at the piece, trying to figure out what, what would make this better. And I realized at the angle, the arm was a little long. And so we're like, we're at the final stages, final touches. And I'm like, Hey, is there any chance we could just pull her arm in a little bit? It just looks a little funky that it looks so long. And once he did that, it changed everything just to click into place. Um, but other artists kind of told, tell us like, okay, if this is the sketch, we're locked into this. Like, you know, so basically there are places where you can make changes and you're not going to be a complete jerk about it, but know what, you know, know how the artist works and, you know, see how receptive they are to making changes like these, uh, at what point will you kind of be dedicated and locked in? That's why it's so important to talk about changes and review and process during the interview is just to understand where their head's at for, uh, feedback and how to deliver that feedback. And then through your very first trial, that you do with them, you're both learning how to work together. But ultimately, it's uh, super important to make sure that you have a clear idea of minimum viable product before you get started. Mm -hmm. Because when push comes to shove, if there are details that you're not getting and you've run out of budget to, on this picture, you need to know that at least those MVP boxes are checked. Yeah, I know, and I'm, sh I'm sure I'm sure that if we could pay our artists even more, we could probably get, you know, yeah, who knows how far these folks can go. They're so talented, but you are paying for their hours. And, you know, you have to make sure that you they hit the details they needed to. Like if a background element is, you know, a little undercooked, that's, you know, that's fine. If they use their time wisely and got those four ground elements done like you said, MVP, you need to know like, what are people going to see first when they look at this card and what do they need to, what are they going to fall in love with? Agreed. Yeah. Well, Danny, do you want to go through some of these key takeaways? Uh, sure. For this, uh, this topic? Yeah, absolutely. So the key takeaways here, number one, shouldn't be a surprise. Artists are awesome. They deserve to be paid. Society needs them. We need them. We need to support them. So if you're in a position to, to support artists, uh, please, please do so. Uh, second, 
make sure that there's a clear agreement in place in writing uh, that outlines your rights and uh, needs and, and their their rights and needs and everything is uh, agreed to in advanced and there's no ambiguity. Uh, make sure you are taking, you know, you're abiding by that agreement and, 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 and conducting yourself with integrity. Have an idea of what you want in advance, whether that's doing concept art or just spending a lot of time reflecting on it. It's important to go in and respect the artist's time, respect your budget and do the homework beforehand. So you're not just spending money to figure out what you thought, you know, or thinking, and then be prepared to be surprised. These artists are going to bring something to the table that is different than what you were expecting in some way, in some shape or form. And it's probably going to be awesome if you're open-minded, if you're receptive, don't get tunnel vision, don't get locked into, it has to be this way. It has to be this way. Your budget will be happier for it. Your collaborators will be happier for it and your product will be fine. Just keep track of what MVP is. Make sure you protect MVP and be open to what an artist has to bring to the table. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't really good sum up right there, uh, Danny. So, you know, I hope that this has helped you work with artists. Uh, I hope you can learn something from this and whether it be an album cover, a book cover or your own trading card game, we really hope that you can learn something from this walkthrough of the artist uh, process. So that was this week's episode, but next week's episode is going to be pretty fun because we're going to have our another guest on. Uh, let me make sure I'm saying this right, Danny. Bryant plus uh, Polanco. So Polanco? It is Brian Polanco. Oh, 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 let me, Bryant Polanco. Let me back it the up. Crown then. Prince. <laughs> the Crown Prince. <laughs> All right. Uh, so... You're, <laughs> So on next week's episode, we're going to have a special guest. His name is Brian Polanco, but he would like to be introduced as that darn joker. The darn joker. The, the da, that, da, that dang he joker. He says we have to introduce him as the joker. I'm, I am 100% supportive of that. I, I, you know, he's a menace to society, Danny, that joker. He, he just uh, throws chaos into the works, and I, I, I will not stand for it. But Brian is actually going to be here for a pretty structured conversation about t the TCG space. And he's going to clue us into some of these hot new trading card games that have been coming out on Kickstarter. So we're going to get a nice little overview of, like I said, contemporary TCGs. Uh, so tune in next week for that. Um, and as always, we have to ask you, please subscribe to our channel and ring that darned bell to get the next pod when it is hot and ready right off the oven right out of the kitchen um also like this episode i'm sure we said something you liked during this episode would you say so danny probably not but you never know i think they i think we did i think we did a bang up job i think we deserve a simple click of the like button leave a comment let us know we want to know what to do more of what to do less mm -hmm. of yeah, um, if this episode, if you have any questions about what you heard in this episode, leave a comment down below and we will answer those questions in a future episode. Mm -hmm. So we're about to get out of here, I, th I thought, but then I scroll down the show notes and I'm reminded it's time for something random. Yes, it is time for something random. And I think I have to ask Will to cue a little intermission music so that we can prepare because I have asked you to prepare for some things. And here's the fun part of having a podcast. You can ask your co-host to spend money on things, to do things uh, without much explanation, and they'll do it. And then it can have absolutely nothing to do with what you're planning to do uh, because they want to have a good show. 
So let's go to the break and we'll come back. All right, Will, just in case something awful happens here in the something random section, let me go ahead and read off that. The theme music is by James Hilden. Thank you, James. And this episode was produced and edited by William Wymore. Wish me luck. All right. So as, as you know, we do Game of the Week quite often. I was intending to do it all the time, but some feedback is that people love random things and miss something random. So we're going to infuse a little bit more of the random in the week to week. So is it always going to be so costly? uh, You know know how much ice is going for these days, Danny? This is going to be the the most affordable that of of our future something randoms. All right, I'm 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 packing the company card with me next time. (laughs) All right, so. Uh, you know, I'm somebody who enjoys a good beverage and I do from time to time enjoy soda. Sometimes you want something that's a little, uh, more refreshing than a soda Mm -hmm. and a little healthier than a soda. Okay. Um, but at least delicious. So I thought I would show you what I've been drinking lately and get your, get your feedback. Okay. Very simple. Let me be your model. Which one should I show off first? All right. So let's get your cup going with you, with your eyes. So hopefully at this wider angle, you can see here, I got a cup. And I've got ice. Danny asked for them. Do you have a cuddle mug? Yes. Uh, long story, but yeah, my um, an ex-girlfriend made this for me based on my uh, logo design for cuddle. And we're going to be talking more about cuddle here real soon, maybe in the next month or so. So stay tuned for that. We'll let you all know about cuddle. But uh, you asked for fancy ice. So I got these cubed ices here. Yep. $500 worth of ice. I'm assuming you want me to do that. Yep. Okay, now what? Right. I've already got ice in my cup, so I'm not going to do it. Next, get your Simply Lemonade. Okay. And what I went with do... the I went with the HEB brand, also very comparable. If you have HEBs I near you, I would say you, so. Yes, I would say so. Simply, our um, you can tell how much I've been doing this based on how much I have left. <laughs> how much am I pouring in, Danny? Out of this, out of this cup, how full? Um, I would say go ahead and cut and do it um, about a third full. Okay. You know, I used to be what they sometimes call pretentiously a mixologist or a bartender. You know what? So, yeah. Uh, so I'm... Somewhere between a quarter and a third. Okay. Right about there. That's, that's plenty. Yes. Then, and you can adjust this based on how sweet you like something. Some people like beverages to be more on the sweet side. I tend to just like my beverages to be a little sweet and a little tart. Well, I'll tell you this right now, looking at the sugar contents on this lemonade, you're definitely going to want to make it a little bit less lemonade because this thing is packed full of sugar. That's 30 grams. I think that's more than, or 28 grams. I think that's more than most soda pops. Yeah, that, okay. th- this is why you want to go a little less. I would say a little less than what Joel has in there. I would say that's closer to half. Um, I would say between a third and a quarter is kind of what you're going. Yeah. So, um, okay. You might, why don't you go ahead and just take a, a, a sip off the lemonade just to kind of get the, yep, yep, keep, keep on sucking. That's good. Yeah, a little um, more. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Almost there. <laughs> this might be my favorite game of the week. <laughs> There you go. That has to be it. Okay, cool. All right. right. And then then we just top it off with Topo Chico. Austin's favorite beverage, Topo Chico. Trust me, I 
As a mixol a former mixologist, I can tell you what that people love this stuff. Why uh, did so you get fired from your mixologist job? Uh, there was this uh, world-ending virus going around, and it caused uh, my theater, the movie theater I was a bartender at, to close. And uh, you know what? By the time they opened back up, I didn't want them anymore. I was very content listening to podcasts on the road, driving for Domino's. Now stir that up really nice. Okay. And I've been... Wait, I've wait, been wait. Proper stirring technique if I can. What you're is supposed, the, What makes the, for a proper stirring technique? You're, you're supposed to, like, because as a bartender, you do it so frequently, you have to do it. You, they want you to do it with the least amount of, like, movement. So as to preserve your wrist. So you're actually, like, just barely pushing. It's more like you're pushing the stirring implement across. So it's it's hard to explain, but you it's like you're definitely not doing, like, this with your forearm. You're just in the wrist kind of twirling. For those listening and can't see, Winston has poked his head in to see what what what, what Joel thinks of his beverage. Hey, right. uh, buddy, you want to say a sip? Come on over. Okay, is this uh, so, Danny? This is the Danny special. This what do you call it? it? This is it. This is very simple, but this is what I've been drinking. It's quite refreshing. Cheers. Hmm. You know. I, I complain about the sweetness of the lemonade, but I think I might have sucked too much of the Simply off at first. It's really good, but I wouldn't mind it just being a tad bit sweeter. Well, that's the beauty of being able to pour more lemonade into your cup. Well, let's see. Well, here, let me take another sip first. So this reminds me a lot of, I don't think it's exactly that, but this reminds me a lot of a Tom Collins. So, you know, this would be obviously the virgin ver version of it because the Tom Collins, I think, would normally have gin or whiskey. I love virgin drinks. I'm like the the freak who's like, can I have this without alcohol? Like, I'll go to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico where they just try to feed you alcohol day to night. Yeah. And uh, you mean I'll, heaven? <laughs> and I'll be like, hey, can I have this uh, this pink uh, drink but without alcohol? And they're like, why? <laughs> I, just, I love. I drink Bloody Mary mix. Mm. I do enjoy a, a virgin Bloody Mary. That I. That was like my secret secret pleasure of opening up the bar on Sunday mornings was I would pour myself some of the Bloody Mary mix, you know, that would soon be utilized. Ah, oh, so good. I have a really good idea for a future episode. Hmm. But it's this... going to re require me me letting you know in advance. So, okay. Well, well, we'll we'll do it. We'll make it happen. Perhaps perhaps I should just go ahead and and lay down the gauntlet right now. Well, we've talked about a lot of future episodes in this episode, so why not? So how about this? For a future something random, let's say the next episode that it is just you and I, no guest. Okay. I challenge you to a Bloody Mary duel. Go on. So on camera, we will both make Bloody Marys, and the person who has the most extravagant Bloody Mary wins. That's... <laughs> Maybe not next episode. I let, let Papa have a few paychecks in his bank account, but I, my one I was already nervous enough doing anything with liquids in my computer space. Like, you know, that wasn't just like bringing it over with like a sippy cup. I'm a messy spill. You drink boy. out of a sippy cup? You have one? <laughs> it's more like uh, uh, it's more like just those uh, road containers for my coffee, but sometimes sometimes uh, I'll have those. Sorry, my, my I just got a message. Sometimes, sometimes I'll you know, when I want to be extra careful, I might put my coffee into a 
to go thermostat. So I, if I turn <laughs> it over, it's not going to get everywhere. Uh, <laughs> to go thermostat? <laughs> mm. That's you one way what? to make sure your beverage is the right temperature. This is uh, this is what it's all about. You know, drinks with the boys. Drinks on, with the boys. Just on the pod. Oh, yeah. On the pod, enjoying beverages, challenging so, each other to Bloody Mary duels. Bloody Mary duel is... Well, see, for me, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about the garnishes on top. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I'm thinking the mix itself. Well, yeah, that matters, too. Yeah, but the thing is, it's like you're not going to get... Like, we have to go for the visual gag of it all because... You're not going to be able to drink unless I'm like unless we talk. We're talking like the next time we're both in town. You're not going to be able to drink my mix and my mix. Uh, if I kind of rip off one of the recipes from my old work, was pretty darn good. It was, it was very spicy, but in Ooh. like not a not a vinegar spice way. That's like one of my things with hot sauces. I I can handle spice, but I'm much more of a pepper person, like you know, like deep peppery spice. Like I'm not a huge like sauce fan because most sauces feel like they're like vinegar based you don't like sauces in general or just hot sauces i'd say the type of hot sauces that you use like hot ones hot sauces that style like yeah. things that you dab on i'm not a huge fan of i like you know like salsas we should people, do our own hot ones i really would i don't from one to ten like start mild get spicy i'll do one through five you do five through ten <laughs> I'll have to check with the doctor first. If you, as as the audience oh, might, yeah, have, uh, might have might uh, have been following, I've had an intestinal uh, major intestinal problem that I caught, I fixed with surgery, but I still don't know what the limitations are. And people often say after post hot ones is like just devastating for their systems. Yeah, I, I, I honestly I don't think I could I could do that. You know what? You want to hear something crazy before we get off to something random? I'll just say one random. Yeah, <laughs> one random thing. I said, "What's stopping you?" <laughs> there was a really long TikTok that I really liked. I I wish I could plug this person. I have no clue who it was. Yeah, I do think I followed them. This person made hot sauce out of guess what ingredient? It's uh, an ingredient you will never guess. I'll give you five hundred guesses. You'll never get it. But give me one. <laughs> I'm just gonna say. I mean, it's like. A few things came to mind instantly, but I re realized that the, the common denominator about all of them was sugar. So I'm going to say they made hot sauce out of sugar. Wrong. Latex gloves. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I would have never gotten that because I was thinking about food, Danny. I was thinking about something that's meant to be ingested. I think they were latex gloves. They were definitely like, uh, they might have been um, a different kind of uh, glove that you wear, uh -huh. uh, but... He cut them up and like did some sort of chemical reaction to extract something from it to make his own capsaicin molecule. So he like molecularly crafted the molecule that we perceive spice from uh, or experience spice from. I don't know. I'm saying this in like the least scientific way possible. But I just sat there enthralled as he turned a bunch of gloves into a hot sauce. Now, granted, there were other things involved, right? Like he... But the what what there wasn't pepper. What the spice was from the gloves. Well, the gloves plus some other stuff. But it was I'm, all like you know. I'm upset, Danny. You've upset me. Stuff. Yes, I, I I get it. I, I'm sure if I watched it, I would be fascinated. But you know uh, the 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 classic trope of uh, a science fiction film is like ha, have we gone too far? Have we have we done the work that was meant for God? And that feels like my my reaction to hearing this is uh, 
Okay, yeah. I, I don't, we, just because we could doesn't mean we should. This draws the line for you. It's yeah. not anything that Genghis Khan did. It's the latex glove hot sauce. Hey, it was, sometimes to make an omelet, you have to break a few eggs, but no, no god said that uh, you need latex gloves to become hot sauce. That was an interesting quote. Anyway, we'll settle this matter with our Bloody Mary duel here I, in a couple episodes. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, I guess with that, we should probably wrap up the show. Danny, do you have anything else to add before we go? No, I mean, this was a great final show, and uh, yeah. All right. Well, this has been uh, Danny, my co-host, and I have been Joel, reminding you that you must start somewhere. So why not here? Give us a couple of non-alcoholic drinks and all the, the wheels just come right off.